Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Bill. We really appreciate your leadership in this house. Man, how many of you feel freedom is here? Father's Day for many people is a time of mourning. It's a day that they reluctantly wake up and try to struggle through. But I believe that we have a house full of fathers from one region to the next region around the world that is changing the tide and turning the tide into a new generation, a new chapter. Does anyone believe that? Because I look around at this room and I see fathers who have brought their families to church. I'm looking through this digital portal that we call watch parties in living rooms where fathers are seated with their children and they are learning the scriptures together. I, before the services started today, I went to uh, V1 Kids and I looked at Ryan Hayward and I wanna say this now in front of the thousands that will have watched this service. I said, Ryan, today you are the second most powerful person in our entire organization. And I said, number one is me. (laughs) But I said, number two is you. Because unless we thread the needle of the gospel in the hearts of the next generation, all of what we do and build in this one will be lost. And he said, oh, Pastor Mike, you're just saying that. I said, no, look me in my eyes. What you're doing matters that much. And so I just want to start by giving him honor. And I want to give honor to all of the under shepherds and the care pastors and the connect group leader men and fathers who father biologically, spiritually. Come on, we can do better than that. Yes, yes, yes. Come on. You could even stand on your feet if you if you have felt so inclined. I mean, it's not like they didn't call you in the midnight hour, visit you in the hospital, send you a text message when your own father didn't send you a text message. We honor you to all of our pastors and shepherds and connect group leaders. We honor you. We're thankful for you. Come on. All right, you take your seat. What is a father? What is a father? Is a father a hug? No, but a father's hug is special. I hugged my father one time that I remember in my life, and it was in a McDonald's parking lot in Hammond, Indiana, when I unintentionally ran into him. Is a father a disciplinary act? (laughs) No, but father's discipline is special if it's done right. Some of you probably feel like crying already because the anointing is here. Is a father a conversation? No, but a father's wisdom is different. It's special. To have a father is to accept his discipline along with his embrace. To have a father is to accept his wisdom along with his listening ear. Siri listens to you but a father is going to tell you how to fix your problems. You better learn to be okay with that. As a spiritual father, when I meet with people, like, I just want you to listen. I'm like, okay, then I can't be a spiritual father because God doesn't just hear our prayers. He responds. He said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Holy Spirit's a great listener, but if you'll listen to him, he'll teach you all things. I think the greatest travesty of religion is it taught us how to talk to God, but not listen to hear back from our father. And he wants to teach us all things. To have a father 
is to accept his wisdom along with the listening ear. I want to talk to you briefly just to kind of piggyback off of Pastor Bill and the wisdom that he imparted about father wounds, about the three different ways that we receive father in our life the three different image bearers of father that are represented in our life. And I believe that this could be one of the most powerful sermons that you ever hear in your life. And I don't even think I have to scream to make it powerful. Okay, nobody believed it. <laughs> but can I just tell you that being a man, and I want to speak on behalf of all men. Men, do I have your permission to be your voice right now? Oh, okay, you heard that. Being a man is so much harder than you could ever imagine. To be a man is to feel like you're never enough. You don't make enough money, no matter how much money. I have friends who have millions in the bank and they feel like they don't make enough money. Matter of fact, the more money you make, the more people rely on you and the more pressure you feel to provide for people. And to be, it, it's never enough money. The poorest person in this room and watching online that's a man and the richest one among us all have the same feeling concerning how much money they have. To be a man, your body is never quite enough. You're not tall enough. You're not the right physique. There's so much body dysmorphia among men because we're given these images. And then it's kind of confusing because I have a dad bod and I've heard that some women like dad bods. <laughs> And I'm like, well, man, maybe I won't change. <laughs> I'm trying, though. But to be a man is to truly feel like your body is never enough. To be a man, no accolade is never enough. Matter of fact, let me tell you what it's like to be around other men. Men who have not been fathered well. And I know this as your pastor because when I'm around some of you guys and I'm speaking to the men... You know, I can tell when a man hasn't been fathered well because they make fun of me when I'm around them. And they do it in a way that's jocular and they do it like locker room, but it's, it's in some ways, if they can put me down, they can lift themselves up. Men who have not been fathered well make fun of other men. Men who have not been fathered well don't know how to compliment another man. It's awkward to compliment another man. It's awkward to, to, to do that. It's men that... And, the only, and, you know, many men gravitate towards sports because it's the one context where it's appropriate to touch and be touched by another man. Some, some men that are listening to me right now have received more affection by a coach than they ever did by their father. And we, we wonder why MMA can fill a stadium, but our local church can't. Because in MMA, you're supposed to touch each other. And a man would get fought and punched in the face just to get close enough to feel the embrace. He'll put himself in a chokehold just to feel uh, something that has some semblance of a father's hug. This is what it means to be a man today. Probably most men here have never heard their dad tell them, you've done a good job and I'm proud of you. Probably many of the men here have never been held past the point where they want to release the embrace of a hug and said, no, hug me longer. I love you, son. One of the darkest days of my life was after the birth of my first daughter, Bella. I looked her in her eyes 
She has just had been newly born. She was crying. The doctors couldn't stop her from crying. Nobody could stop her. But just at the sound of my voice that she had heard through her mother's womb for the nine months of her existence before delivery, because we know that life most certainly begins before delivery. Just at the sound of my voice, she began to stop crying. That's when I understood the power of the father's voice. Because what she wanted and needed was nourishment physically. Because, you know, when your wife goes into labor, they don't allow you to eat anything in case that there's a surgery. But see, even though my daughter physically needed nourishment, my voice was able to stop a cry without giving her milk. That was when I started to learn and understand the power of the father's voice. But then I'll never forget, they didn't let the father stay home at that time and spend the night in the hospital. And this was 14 years ago now. And I had to go home and Julie had to stay in the hospital overnight. And I'll never forget, I got home and I was washing my hands and I started to have a panic attack. Full-blown panic attack. And I, I, I couldn't even control myself. I began to shake uncontrollably. I couldn't breathe. And I dropped down to the floor of the bathroom and I was like, what is happening to me? And as I tried to get in touch with my feelings the best I could, as a young man in my 20s, the thought kept reoccurring to me. After holding my daughter in my arms for the very first time, how could my dad have ever have left me? Because I can't imagine ever leaving her. It made me realize that he was much more of an animal than I ever imagined because I started to understand what it meant to have the love of a father. And I thought, what was so wrong with me that he didn't feel that for me? Welcome to the father's house. Why do you think a church attendance is at all time low and Christians don't show up? Because this is the father's house and we avoid the place where we've experienced our greatest woundedness. But how many of you know that it's where you've been experienced your greatest woundedness is where you experience your greatest purpose? And how many of you know that I've become a father to the nations through a global pandemic? Because when fear is at all time high, the desire to hear the father's voice is also at an all time high. And I took a phone to my face and said, you can FaceTime with the spiritual father, even if you don't have a genetic one. And I showed up. I showed up to Jamaica. And you know what they called me in Jamaica? They didn't call me Pastor Mike. They called me Papa Sigs. Because in a fatherless nation, I said, you can FaceTime with me every single day during a very scary time. And you know what made Mr. Rogers strong? It wasn't that Mr. Rogers had two full sleeves of tattoos. Maybe he did. I don't know. I've heard rumors. It wasn't that he was ripped out, bulked up, leaned up. It wasn't that... He drove a big truck that he elevated 16 inches above factory protocol. It wasn't that he turned his music up louder and had subwoofers cranking that'll shatter someone else's windows. It wasn't that he had had sex with a whole bunch of women and any woman that he desired. It wasn't that he grew a big beard. You know what made Mr. Rogers a great man that was beloved by many? He invited you into his world every single day. And his consistency won the hearts of a nation. And I said, if pastors are only opening up their world one day a week, I'm going to become a spiritual father and open mine up 
at least six days a week. And social media gurus have come to me and said, we don't understand. You don't know what you're doing online. How have you reached so many people? And I said, you don't understand the father's heart. You know the algorithm, but I know the algorithm of the father wound. And the algorithm of the father wound demands that the dad shows up every day. And the way I learned that is because he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will never leave you. That's better than Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers went away. Jesus said, well, I'm going away, but it's better that I go because I'm sending another that will never leave. That's the algorithm of the father's heart is consistency wins the day. It's showing up. And I'm here to tell you today that there are, there are three different ways that the Father reveals himself. Number one is through Heavenly Father. Christians today take it for granted that God as our Father is a verbiage and a phrase that we use. But how many of you know that if you actually were to search the scriptures, Jesus was being pursued for his life to be murdered because he called God Father? Did you know that? Matter of fact, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this and start with Abba, our unconditionally loving, omnipresent, aware of all of our needs, knit you in your mother's womb, breathe life into you, created you, destined you and purpose you father who is in heaven. But see, that's become so normal within Catholicism, but wherever something has become normal, you cannot access its power. Because familiarity destroys honor. And so what happened was when Jesus was calling God Father, I want to read you a scripture. John chapter 5, verse 17. Write this down. John chapter 5, verse 17. My Father is working until now, and I'm working. So Jesus was committing miracles on the Sabbath. And they were like, well, whoa, you can't do that. And he was like, no, listen, my father created all of this and now I'm redeeming it. And so the work continues. I have permission to continue to work because of who I'm relationally connected to. I am connected to the father. And he says, my father, even that phrase was very scandalous. My father is working until now and I'm working. Now let's look at the very next verse in John chapter five. And now we're looking at verse 18. So take a look at this with me and read these words with your eyes. That was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, now look at this, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So for you to listen to the words of Jesus and to pray to God using the phrase, our father, would have gotten you killed in first century Roman occupied Jewish territories because you would have been saying you are like God because God is your father. And old covenant Jews did not have that relational dynamic with God. As a matter of fact, there was always a hierarchy. There were people who were designated to go to God on your behalf. And so to say God is your father would be to destroy an entire hierarchy that existed. But that was God's plan the entire time that we would come boldly before the, the throne of grace, that the veil would be rent. And now all of us would become a nation of priests. 
And so religion always seeks to establish a hierarchy, whereas Christ sought to redeem and fulfill the promise of family. Family. Everybody say family. Most of you were hurt when those words left your mouth because our families are places of brokenness, places of, places of broken expectation, places where places of hiding and shame, places that we're not really proud of. You know, to save family is to even utter the words of the acknowledgement of our own brokenness. And when Jesus said, God is my father, he was acknowledging God as image bearer and restoring, watch this, he was restoring access to all the authority and all the power and all the privilege that had been disconnected in the previous era. And it was so scandalous to the brains of those who were hearing that they sought to kill him even more. You know, the best lies sound exactly like the truth. Isn't it just like the demons of religion and tradition to get us to utter the words heavenly father, but then manifest churches that don't ever operate in the same power, might, authority, wisdom, miracles, wonders, signs that we have access to operate through? Isn't it just like religion that it makes it okay to say the word father, but we have not been engrafted into the power source that is family that produces that power? And so it's God Almighty that wants to reconnect in this time in your life, not just God as Father, but co-heir and access to all he has as Father. I hate, can I just tell you what I hate? I hate that on Long Island and parts of New York City, a whole bunch of religious Pharisees are so against the prosperity gospel that they forgot that God their Father wants them to prosper. And I'm going to say something scandalous, but if you think that your dad wants you to be a pauper and a beggar, then you have not received the father's heart. And we have so many people afraid and tiptoeing around. Listen, I, I have not come here to be necessarily uh, so pharisaical and so engrossed in the nuances of the words. I may not do the best job of explaining it, but I'll do the best job of accessing it because I know how to sit up in Papa's lap and he wants to bless me abundantly. And people who are offended by prosperity gospel have orphan spirits that don't understand. I don't want to just give Bella an ever the bare minimums. I want to bless them beyond comprehension. I want to spoil them. I want to show them what it's like to be in my embrace. If, if people who are afraid of prosperity, I went to Israel. No Jew thinks that they're supposed to be poor because they say I'm to access the Abrahamic covenant. Come on, you think that that you think that kingdom is something that we access after we die? Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Jesus wasn't just talking about uh, after you die. And so I just want to say that God is reinstalling his identity through Father God, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father. You know, I just want to tell you, 
we got a testimony as I was getting ready to walk up on stage. And I want to tell you about Heavenly Father, because there's a whole bunch of religious Pharisees and Sadducees that have tried to convince the children of God that their dad doesn't want to heal their bodies just because some people didn't get healed. Well, guess what? 100% of the people you don't pray for won't get healed. But some of the people we pray for will get healed. And I'll pray for them because my dad wants to heal their body. When my daughters get sick, I don't want them to be sick. That's foolishness to say, well, it's the sovereignty of God. Get out of here with that orphan spirit. Maybe I will die of a disease or sickness, but maybe I'll get healed too. Yes, God's sovereign. Well, guess what? Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave. Homeboy died again. We don't know what he died of, but it doesn't mean we can't get a, a resurrection. Maybe it's both. Maybe I sovereignly die of one disease and sovereignly get healed of another. But why can't we believe for miracles from Father? I'm bringing theology into proper alignment. And people who, pray, who, who rail against prosperity gospel drive a car better than 99% of the people on planet Earth and live in a house with running water. I never hear somebody so theologically sound on that theology that they go live in a hut in Africa to serve people with our whole heart. We're all dirty up to our elbows. Come on with it slapping some devils in their face right now. Oh, he's not. He's, this is the calmest I can be because I'm sick too. <laughs> but I, I say that because Abba Father wants to heal our bodies. And we've been convinced that it only sometimes happened. You could be made a saint in the Catholic Church if one miracle happens to your life. Well, by that standard, we've got 74 saints sitting in this room right now because we're all a miracle and miracles have come through the hands of those who don't even yet have ordination certificates printed out and hanging on their wall because we are a family of priests. I got a message on the way here. When I say here, I mean the 15 steps it took me to get to this stage. And it says this. Now I got this message. Now I was just in Jamaica and at the conclusion of five and a half hours of deliverance, casting demons out of people, all of a sudden they said, well, we want to bring you the toughest situation, the hardest one. Well, I said, well, nothing hard for Jesus. We have a woman that we traveled with from across country and uh, she had a stroke and the left side of her body is completely useless. She can't lift her arms. She can't walk. She can't even move. <laughs> Now listen, I'll be honest with you guys. I have a secular degree. I'm secularly educated. I used to be an atheist. I'm not stupid. I've got, I can use $20 words if I have to, okay? And there's a part of me that whenever I'm faced with situations acknowledges the reality of what I'm dealing with. I'm not stupid. I'm not a Christian because I'm a, I'm a stupid person. I'm a Christian because I've experienced resurrection power that I cannot deny. And actually, it'd be dumber for me to deny it at this point. And so as I was walking up to that woman, I said, God, I don't think that I've ever seen you heal somebody of a stroke. But I believe I could be the first. And I said, God, 
I said, this is your precious daughter. And I want to tell you, healing flows from the father's heart. See, I wanted to say this the whole sermon. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1-8 says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. But I didn't understand that scripture to this dimension and degree until I woke up this morning and I was dialoguing with Abba and he highlighted one word of that scripture I never paid attention to before. After. Because we always want the power before we get the person. It says, when you receive the person, you receive the power. Charlatans build whole ministries off of the power that they wanted before they received the person. Can I just tell you, after you receive Abba, you'll receive power. And there's a lot of people like, build my business, Jesus. Jesus is not interested in building your business. He's interested in building his kingdom. Jesus, fix my marriage. He's not, he's not as interested in fixing your marriage as he is in you being married to him as the bride of Christ and then bringing your marriage into alignment. Anything that is ever truly successful by the definition of kingdom success is in alignment with his will and you are just going to be wealthy off of the crumbs that spill from his table. This is rich. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And so we don't want power. We want the person because the train of his robe fills the temple. The train of his robe fills the temple. And see, when his train fills the temple, it's, it's signifying of every time an Old Testament king won a victory, they would cut the robe, the train of the robe off of the king that they conquered, and they would stitch it in to the robe of the king of Israel. And so to say the train of his robe fills the temple means that he just keeps winning and winning and winning and winning. The train of his robe fills V1 kids right now because there's victories happening in that generation. The train of his robe fills this auditorium now because he's wooing and winning Long Island to him. And he's bringing us back to him from Queens and the Bronx and Long Island are coming. The train of his robe fills the nations through this broadcast. Every living room, every, every uh, house, every home, every auditorium. The train of his robe fills the temple. The train of his robe just grew one victory longer as I got a message on the way up to the stage that that girl that we prayed for has just received full function back in her body. She's walking now all by herself with no assistance because the train of his robe fills the temple. He just keeps beating every disease, every sickness, everything that science says is impossible becomes possible because Abba is still healing. The train of his robe I took her lifeless hand and I held it in my hand. You don't understand. I, I was in a jerk chicken shop <laughs> and I held her hand. I said, can you raise your hand? <laughs> you don't understand. I grabbed her hand 
Her hand was, I, I felt embarrassed. I forgot. She, I said, hey, can you lift your hand? She said, I can't. I was so embarrassed. I asked her to do something she couldn't do. And I held her lifeless hand. It was dead, no function. And on the way up to the stage, we got the message from Jamaica. She's walking now with no assistance. There's no way. There's no way. You don't know my dad. The second way that God reveals himself. Will you guys just take a seat for a second longer? The second way that he reveals himself is through spiritual fathers. Peter called Mark his son. First Peter chapter five, verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. They weren't genetically related. But Peter called Mark my son. What a high honor. Paul refers to Timothy as my true son in the faith, thus indicating his close relationship with Timothy. First Timothy chapter one, verse two says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. If you've ever had a father wound, you know what it does to your heart to hear that phrase, my true child. If you've been a stepchild, if you've been in step relationships and you don't look like any of your siblings, come on now, somebody, let's just get in all the family business. And somebody says, my true child, it affects you. It affects you on a profound level. Elsewhere in Paul's letter, he also refers to this slave who is named um, Onesimus. And in Philemon chapter one, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, for my child, one Simmons, whose father I became in imprisonment, a slave. And when Paul was in prison, he said, it could have been the worst season of my life, but it's not because I became your dad. I became your dad. How many of you give honor to stepdads who stepped into a situation and they became a father? And they said, I thank God for Dean, man. Well, I don't know where he is at. But over 20 years ago, I was so broken and I was taking care of my family and I was providing for them. We were a welfare family. I worked at the water department, got a job. I dropped out of school at 16 years old and I got a job making $31,000 a year at 16 years old at the water department because my mother was laid up with tumors and cysts and she was bedridden. I was so lonely and so scared and I was paying the bills every single month, watching my friends go to prom, watching my friends have boyfriends and girlfriends and going on these different journeys. And I was missing it all to try to spiritually father my four brothers and sisters. But then all of a sudden this man named Dean came to drop the twins off, Matthew and Mallory, the youngest. And I'll never forget, he pulled up in a big white manly truck. And as soon as he got out of the truck, the Holy Spirit said, the same father that I've been to you, Dean has my heart. I never even really knew him like that. And, I, and he said, You're going, Dean is going to take the assignment and take the burden from you, and you're going to be free. So with the relationship that I have with Pastor Dean, you don't understand. He took a burden from me. I was able to go to college after dropping out of high school. Then I became a high school teacher and taught the two grade levels I never even attended, 11 and 12th grade. 
but it took the father's heart. I didn't need a preacher. I needed Pastor Dean to be a father. And some of us have heard enough sermons. We need someone to show up, somebody to write a check, somebody to be there with a birthday card. We need fathers. And Dean's been a father. The apostle John referred to members of a church that he was overseeing as children. First John chapter two, one. Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church is likened to that of a father to his children in 2 Corinthians. And then Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. That's why we don't go on Facebook and treat it like Christian Netflix just to get a good word because you don't need an eloquent pastor. You need to be fathered by your pastor. You need to open up your heart to be fathered by me as a spiritual father because there's not everybody. Stephen Furtick, Bishop T.D. Jakes, they will not give account to God for your soul, but I will. I will. And that's the burden that I bear. But I believe that during this pandemic, we turned into a global church because I became a father of more children as I said yes to the assignment. And it's a heavy assignment. And many pastors have stolen money. Many pastors have inappropriately had relationships with women. Many pastors have damaged the image bearer of Heavenly Father. But how many of you know that, what, that we've got fathers in this house who are saying we are going to allow God to restore that image through our imperfections? The Bible says that it's through these broken jars of clay that the light of Christ shines and he gets the glory. The closer you get to me, the more imperfections you see, but it should amaze you that God uses me like this. The last one is our earthly father. Earthly fathers, Ephesians chapter six, verse four, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Do you know that the greatest assignment of all fathers. If you're a dad, hear me say this. If you're confused about what do I do? How do I do this? I'm going to just tell you, this is the most important thing. And this is the thing by which all other things you do will be judged. Taking your kids to the ball games, providing your kids financially, all of that will be secondary. And it's a very far second to what I'm going to tell you right now. You will be judged by God by Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Did you provoke your children to anger? There's a lot of angry children who are 65 years old, angry children right now. There's a lot of angry 30-year-olds, angry 20-year-olds. There's a lot of angry children. But number two, and this is the most important, did you bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? The Lord's going to look at me and say, I gave you Bella and Everly. Did you bring them up in the instruction of the Lord? That's it. And you can do that. One, you know, I want to give honor to a father in our house. His name's Keith. He serves in our dream team on production. Do you want to know the kind of conversations I have with the men in our church? Keith texted me. Oh man, this is a holy conversation because I knew him for a while now. He's been a pillar of this church. He said, Pastor Mike, I'm looking for a good devotional for my kids. We just finished one. Do you have any suggestions for another? I said, man, of all the things that we could be talking about, Keith wants to know 
what devotional. Keith isn't mad about what happens in V1 Kids. He's not saying, I wish V1 Kids got better. He said, I'm getting better as a dad. I'm getting better. What, what can I do to teach my kids six days a week? And, and I give him honor for that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now here's the other side. Your parents' obligation, your father's obligation was to instruct you in the ways of the Lord. They probably failed. But your instruction is to honor them. And it doesn't say honor them if they're worthy of honor. It says honor them, period. It doesn't say honor them if they treated your mother right. It says honor them. Oh, I know I'm asking a hard thing. Oh, I know I'm asking a hard thing. The Lord will always ask a hard thing, but his love is found in his discipline because it's us who he makes better. And he's demanding that you honor. Well, Pastor Mike, my father's dead. How can I honor him? Live the kind of life that he was supposed to. Be the man or be the woman through his life that you are supposed to be. Maybe he fell short. Forgive him. Forgive him forgive him. I want you to all stand to your feet as we close. I wrote this piece as I was spending some intimate time with the Holy Spirit. I want everybody to just close their eyes who's watching and watch parties, who's watching online, who's here in person. I want you to just close your eyes. Yes, we're going to cast out demons next week. Yes, we're going to see more miracles. Yes, we're going to see financial transactions and wealth and abundance. And we're going to see God do all these crazy things. But if you don't know the father, heaven's not heaven. You think what makes heaven roads paved with gold mansions. You know what makes heaven heaven? The father's embrace unlimited for eternity. You know what makes hell hell? separation from the father. That's what hell is. There's no flame hot enough to replace the pain of being separated from your heavenly father. There's no demon that can poke prod and curse at you enough to replace the pain you will feel when you are eternally separated from your dad. This is when you come back right now. This is when you come home. And I wrote this in some intimate time with God. And I pray that it comes off the way that I heard it in the spirit. But I want you, every single one of you, I want you to think about your dad. I want you to think about your grandfather on both sides of your family, your great grandfather. If you knew them, there was a lot of brokenness. There was a lot of things that didn't get dealt with. You're the breaker. You're the breaker. I know when someone has not had a spiritual father, an earthly father or knows their heavenly father because they're fearful. And I know this because perfect love cast out all fear. And you hear his voice saying, nothing can happen to you that I don't allow and I don't have a plan for. My discipline is my investment in you. I would never hurt you, even if it hurts. Trust me. This is all temporary. I've gone ahead of you and I've prepared a place. I will fulfill the desires 
of your heart, says your father. I know someone hasn't experienced the heavenly father because they're prideful. Because when you have a true father, you walk into a crowded room and you hear him say, you have nothing to prove to any of them in that room. You're special because, because you're mine. Your position is immovable and unchangeable because you are mine. You cannot climb the social ladder any higher. You're a child of the true king. I know someone has never encountered the true heavenly father because they're jealous. Because when you have a father, you can hear him say, don't belittle what you have by comparing it to someone else. Don't think that you're less special because you're gifted in a different way. Your story is going to be a masterpiece, not a tragedy, because I'm in control. It might take you longer to get there, but it's worth the journey. Just because on this journey, you got to know me. Men and women who have been fathered, they know that real power is restraint. They know that gentleness is boldness. They know that kindness is mighty. And they know that consistency is worthy of the highest honor. Father, I release your healing virtue right now to leave my hand, to leave my voice into the, every heart that is hearing me now around the world. Ooh, Father, I release your power to begin to flow through every body right now to break curses of fatherlessness. The orphan spirit be broken around the world in every tongue, every language, every nation. Go in the name of Jesus. I command you to come out of them now. Be released from their body now. Your days are over now. And I release the power of the Father's heart now to begin to embrace every single one. Jealousy, competition, anger, your power be broken now, now, now. Poverty, your power be broken now in the name of Jesus. And I release the Father's heart to begin to flow through the nations, to begin to flow through Long Island, to begin to flow into the children, to begin to flow into the fathers and the mothers and the daughters and the sons of this house now. We're just going to sing for a few more moments. We're going to open this altar. Some people are already receiving deliverance now. If you need to receive a father's hug, I would just ask that Pastor Chase, some of the men from our house, just line up this stage right now. And I want you to, if you need to receive a father's hug before you leave, I want to let you know these men carry the heart of this house. If you're at a watch party right now, I want you to grab somebody and hug them right now. 
and let them feel the Father's embrace. Some of you, if you're in the aisles right now and you see somebody struggling, I want you to hug them and hold them. And I want you to just hold them and let them know that they're loved. Some of them haven't been told that they're loved. So go ahead and do that now. Let's just begin to sing.